You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist. The title this morning is Get a Grip. Get a Grip. Maybe you've said that to other people. Maybe you've said that to your children or your spouse. Or maybe you've said that or maybe you've heard that directed toward you. I confess, I've been on the giving and receiving end of this statement. And why do we say this? Get a grip. We say this to someone who is losing control. Maybe they're out of control, they're emotional, and and probably most likely they're angry. And this is one way that we can pointedly tell someone else, get a hold of yourself. And in a way, that's what Paul is doing here in verses 8 through 11. Now, he wouldn't say it this way because this is a very American way to say it. But in a lot of ways, what he's writing is, is how to lay aside some things, how to put aside some things. But it's not a dispassionate letter. He's not just writing words on a page and saying, hmm, I think this will be good. He wants us to get a grip. Now, he's not angry when he says it. But he is going to address the sin of anger. In verses 8 through 11, this is really one paragraph here. We are to, to get a grip and put off sins that destroy the body of Christ. And in these verses, there are six different sins mentioned. Verses 8 and 9 have six sins that are mentioned. Perhaps you noticed them as we read them. Anger, wrath, and malice. Then blasphemy, filthy language, and lying. And there's a progression here. Really, there's a common denominator. And the common denominator is that these sins destroy the body of Christ. Anger and corrupt communication destroys the body of Christ. But there's a progression because anger in the heart and wrath and malice then spills out into our speech. Which then leads to blasphemy and filthy language. And then Paul talks about lying. And the word he uses for lying is not just the simple word of to not tell the truth. He's going to show us that he's, he's really addressing a mean spirit that's trying to deceive one another. So anger is involved in all of these things. We could say that anger is the flavor of these sins. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, the first three of these sins we could categorize as anger, the second three under speech or ungodly speech specifically. And so what I'd like to do over the next couple of weeks is take those two sins as categories and address them. The sin of anger, first of all today, and the sins of ungodly communication, ungodly speech next week. Now it is from the same passage, so we're going to look at the same verses two weeks in a row, but because these topics, these, these sins are so destructive, we really need to take them one at a time. And this week we have the sin of anger. Now, why should we put off the sin of anger? Paul, as he's writing this book, has elevated Christ in our eyes. Jesus is our reconciler, our redeemer, the crown jewel of the universe, we could say. And our response to him is to receive him, and then in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, to set our mindset, our hearts, our affections on things above, to treasure him as we've been using that word. And if we are going to treasure Jesus and set our goals and our dreams and our desires on heavenly things, there are certain things of this earth, certain things that we must lay aside, that we must put off. 
And the first thing that we come to is anger. And my goal today is not just to, to preach about how sinful anger is. That'll be part of it. But I want, again, to give you an opportunity to understand that there's hope. Because this is a common sin that we struggle with. We may not be the blow-up, angry type. Maybe we know someone like that. But anger really affects every single one of us. And so we'll walk through the text today and then walk through how to put this sin off in practical terms. And the main point of the passage and the main point of my sermon is very simple. Christians who treasure Christ must put off sinful anger. If you are serious about treasuring Christ, if you truly want to live for him and live like him and walk with him, sinful anger is not compatible with your Christian walk. Now, what is anger? Anger is simply a strong feeling of displeasure over something we perceive to not be right in the world. And that could be something huge out there. It could be something very, very, very minor in our lives. And our anger is communicated through our our words, through our actions, through our nonverbals, through our attitudes even towards other people. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger which is a zeal, a passionate response to defending God's cause in God's way. The Lord Jesus was righteously angry when he threw the the money changers out of the temple. And there are a lot of Christians who like to, and I do this too, right? Uh, There are a lot of us who like to say, well, my anger is justified because it was righteous anger. Now, we can be righteously angry But most of the time, our anger is not about how God's name is being defamed in the world. Most of the time, our anger is about how I was offended, how I didn't get my way, and so I'm upset by it. Most of our anger is spent defending ourselves. And so this passage here does not talk about putting off righteous anger. It's talking about putting off sinful anger. And so I'm not going to make that distinction every single time from now on, that'd be a little cumbersome, but I'm talking about sinful anger. Now, if you look at verse eight, it opens with a very simple command. It's an imperative. Put off all these. And that word put off was used of of changing clothes. Just like you take off dirty clothing, you need to take off the sin of anger. And that is probably not a controversial statement. You've probably heard that before if you've attended church. But I want to ask a question that's going to strike a little deeper. How much anger do you tolerate in your life? Because as long as we keep anger somewhere out there, it doesn't really affect us. Oh, yeah, 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 sinful anger. Yeah, no, I don't do that. Or or when I do, I I try to really uh, put it off. How much anger actually do you tolerate in your life? There is the blow up exploding type of anger and there's the seething smoldering type of anger there's outrage but there's also being aggravated anger is being hot under the collar steaming steaming mad being blue in the face bent out of shape fit to be tied rankled or ticked off Anger can be irritated, grumpy, antagonistic, crabby. 
passive-aggressive, vindictive, frustrated, annoyed, or furious. Anger can make someone touchy or ornery or pugnacious, violent, embittered, or offended. Anger shows up when we yell at another driver on the road, talk under our breath at our boss, steam and vent over uncontrollable circumstances in our lives. Anger also shows up when we're bitter against another church member, when we're annoyed at our spouse, when we're frustrated with someone else in the grocery line because they're taking too long, when we explode at our parents or slam our fist at the TV because we didn't like the score of the ball game or harshly correct our children. You see, every single one of those things comes from anger. It's not a pretty picture, is it? So I'll ask you again, how much anger do you tolerate in your life? Because once we start tolerating anger, we put up with it, the next step is to excuse it. And it, it, it's like when we tolerate it, we, we, we invite it into our home and give it its own room, and we kind of ignore it from there, thinking that it'll go away. Well, anger is, a, is like a, a bad roommate or a bad house guest. Instead of getting the hint and leaving, it just settles in more and more and takes over more and more. Because instead of kicking it out, we start excusing it and justifying our anger and defending it. And sometimes we couch it in, in righteous terms. Well, I... I was upset because it was the right thing to do. (laughs) Was it though? And once we start justifying it and defending it, then we become enslaved to it. It doesn't have a room to stay in anymore. It now owns the title to to the deed. And to add insult to injury, Jerry Bridges points out that anger is often directed toward those we should love the most. Have you ever realized that? We get most angry at the people that we probably should be actually loving and serving the most. It's not the random stranger out there that we're really upset at. It's the person who dwells under our roof. It's the person we see week in and week out. It's the person we have to share an office space with. How much anger is acceptable? Paul would say, none. None. Which is why Christians who treasure Christ must put off sinful anger. Let's get into the text. Notice three points about putting off sinful anger. First of all, put off sinful anger in all its forms. Verse eight opens with an emphatic command and our translations pull it out. You yourselves, you know, did the copyist just stutter there for a minute? You yourself? No, it's an intensive. It's a call for us to put this off and it's in the plural. So all these things apply to us individually, but it's supposed to be for us as a body, us as a church as well. You yourselves are to put off all these. And Paul specifically calls out three words, right? There's anger, and that's the general word for anger in the New Testament. It's a state of strong displeasure. But then there's wrath, and that's more intense than anger. And when it's used of humans... One source said that it's a state of intense displeasure with the implication of passionate outbursts. That's wrath. Malice is the third word. 
it's mean-spirited and vindictive. If, if wrath is more the outburst side of anger, malice is more the internal seething side of anger. The same source said it's a feeling of, of hostility and strong dislike with a possible implication of desiring to do harm. So it's not just I'm upset, it's I'm upset and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something about it. That's malice. And that's not a great picture, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? That's, that's not real attractive. If you were to go uh, and knock on someone's door and they said, in this house dwells anger, wrath, and malice, would you want to go in for dinner? You'd say, you know, I think I got the wrong address. It's not a pretty picture. Now, are there other forms of anger that Paul doesn't mention? Yes. He's not going after every single one specifically here. What he's doing is showing us that categorically anger is sinful and we have to put it off. And so let's think about that for a moment. There, there are three kind of subpoints here I want us to consider. First of all, we have to understand that anger is pervasive. What relationship does anger not affect? Whose heart has anger not seeped into? Do you know how many synonyms we have for anger in our, in our dictionaries and thesauruses? I looked it up. There are 126 synonyms for angry and 121 for anger. Now, there's some overlap in those lists, but I, I listed off a, a few of those things earlier. But 126 explanations or, 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 or related concepts for anger. Our culture struggles with anger. <laughs> 120. And anger doesn't just stay in our hearts. It affects many other things. In fact, it's the root cause that, that, that results in many other sins. It's anger that causes us to yell at other people. But it's also anger that causes us to avoid people and not forgive them. It's anger that causes us to get bitter over a hurt that God has allowed into our lives. It's anger that causes us to lash out at our spouse or to confront our children in a harsh way. It's anger that causes us to be rude to other people around us because we think we deserve better. You see, anger doesn't just stay in our hearts. It spills out because it's like a boiling pot of water. And when it boils, it starts spilling over and affecting other things. Anger causes us to argue and quarrel. It results in antagonism or passive-aggressive behavior, and it spills over. And so to deal with anger biblically, we can't just say, well, yeah, that one little slice of the angry pie I need to set aside. No, you have to understand how deep anger runs, how strong a grip it has on our hearts. Because until we get the diagnosis right, we can't find the solution. Anger is pervasive. But you, you must also recognize that every instance of anger, even small ones, are sinful. Do you agree with that? Well, I, 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 because God agrees with that statement because that's what his word says. Even the smallest instances of anger are sinful. I quoted Jerry Bridges a moment ago. He wrote a several books that are very helpful. And the one that I'm drawing from is called Respectable Sins. The subtitle is Confronting the Sins that We Tolerate. And so what he's doing is he's not taking the obvious sins that we tend to like, oh yeah, that's sinful. 
He's addressing the secret sins and the hidden sins and the things that we tend to think, ah, it's not that bad, like judgmentalism and pride. And he doesn't spend one chapter on anger, he spends two. Because anger isn't respectable. It's not respectable. It's sinful, is what the word of God says. Our sin, sometimes we sanitize, right? We sanitize anger by by calling it other names. I do this. Ah, well, I, I, I just lost my cool for a minute there. Actually, biblically, it was, you got angry when that happened. Or, you know, I just, I just had a little bit of an outburst. I, I don't know what got a hold of me. Well, I can tell you what got a hold of you. Wrath got a hold of you. Or, you know, when I said that, I, just, I really didn't mean it that way. No, malice spoke out of your heart, and your anger exposed itself. We sanitize it by not calling it in biblical terms. We can't sanitize this. No instance of unrighteous anger is acceptable. And until we take God's standard for it, we can't overcome it. But third, we have to put it off in all its forms because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James 1.20 is the verse I just quoted. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we get angry, we are not furthering or advancing God's kingdom in the world. We're advancing an agenda, absolutely. But whose agenda are we advancing? Ours. Because there are people, if you read stories about biographies, there are powerful people in our world who use anger as a strategy or a weapon. Why? Because they get what they want. If I blow up in this meeting, I get what I want. If I get angry over this decision, I get what I want. Some spouses do this with each other, right? If I get angry over this, I can get this back in return. And anger is now a weapon, a tool to use for my advancement. Does anger ever accomplish spiritual fruit? Does it ever accomplish God's purpose? The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And that verse has been probably the single greatest verse to help me in my own growth in this area. Several years ago now, I can't remember which one. But raising kids, as many of you have done, is frustrating. You know that. And there are times where you're like, this should not be difficult. You know, I, I said do this, and it was pretty clear. But I would respond with harshness, and I would respond with anger. And, and, and what good did that do? Me responding to my, my four-year-old, my five-year-old with anger. What did that accomplish? They got afraid of me. Maybe they, they scooted and did what they wanted to do. But what spiritual fruit did I accomplish in their life by getting angry with them? Absolutely Nothing. And over time, as I memorized that verse and meditated on it and prayed through it, the Lord began to grow me. And am I perfect in anger? No. <laughs> but when I'm tempted to become angry, the Spirit starts to use that verse. Zach, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. It doesn't help my cause here. When we were flying back from camp uh, with, with Nelena, we walked into the airport in Podunk, Asheville, North Carolina, and we saw the line for the ticketing counter. And we looked one way and went, okay, the wall is there. And we looked this way and we couldn't see where the line ended. So we started walking. <laughs> and we got, and it kept going and going and going. And it was probably 60 people deep. I'm not exaggerating. We spent an hour and 10 minutes in that line to get our bags checked. And you know how frustrated I was? I was biting my tongue the whole time. And at one point, 
they announced over the loudspeaker, oh, we're going to hold the flight to Denver, and it just slipped out of me. Well, of course you're going to hold it because there's nobody on the flight. And then I thought, <sighs> a couple of p- other people laughed, but you know what that was? That was my anger spilling up, expressing my frustration. It was sinful. That didn't accomplish God's righteousness. That wasn't a great testimony for the Lord. Ask yourself then, what's my anger helping? What fruit am I producing? It only helps me get what I want. So we have to put off anger in all its forms. Second, we need to see that the reasons why we should put off anger. And there are three reasons starting in in 9 and 10 here, or in in verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. So first of all, you were categ- we have to, s- let me slow down. Number two, put off sinful anger because you belong to Christ. Since you belong to Christ, this has no pl- place in your life. And verses nine through 10 explains to us that there was a change that happened in your life. You were categorically changed. Anger actually resembles the old way of living. Do you remember what it says here? Let me go back and I'll, I'll put that up on the screen if you didn't write it down. So hold tight. Do not lie to one another since you have put off. And verse 10, you have put on. There's been a total change of your life. You are not belonging to the old self anymore. You don't belong to Adam's category of people who are apart from God under wrath. You now belong to Christ. You're part of the new humanity. And yet, there's a tension, right? Though we belong to Jesus and our destiny is heaven, we still live in Adam's broken world. And so we're tugged, Christians are. We're tugged by our desires for things above, but we're tempted by things below. And so that's why we renew our minds. That's why we constantly study the scriptures to change out our old way of thinking and put on the new way of thinking. To renew is, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, to cause something to become new and different with the implication of becoming better. When we change the way we think, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. It's according to the image of him who created him. Our change means that we are becoming and looking like more and more like Jesus. Verse 11 supplies us with two more reasons. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Now this verse may seem a little bit disjointed, like why is he talking about all these people groups? But at the end of verse 10, he's talking about being part of the new humanity, being part of Christ. And Christ's body is united. It's united across nationalities and ethnicities. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarians were those that were outside the Roman Empire. Scythians were actually the prime example of barbarians. In the ancient world, the Scythian was the one who you were like, they are totally backwood. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free because you are united in Christ. So why are we to put off anger? Well, you're united, you are united to other believers in Christ's body. What does anger do to the other members of Christ's body? It destroys it. 
There is unity in this body, as Paul has just proved. And verse 11 concludes with the little phrase, Christ is all and in all. In our midst, the Lord Jesus is the one who unites us. Every believer is part of Christ's body, and every believer has the Holy Spirit living in them. Therefore, therefore, to be mad at someone else in the body, to be angry at another believer, is actually to be angry at Jesus himself. You say, that, that can't be, that can't be. No, no, no. Jesus so closely identifies with his body as the head that what is done to the body is being said to be done to the head. You say, prove it, okay? In Acts chapter 9, when Saul of Tarsus is going to persecute Christians in Damascus, the Lord Jesus appears to him in a blinding light, and Jesus asks Saul a question. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's response is kind of like, who, he says, who are you, Lord? He's trying to figure out who he's persecuting because he doesn't recognize the man. And Jesus says, it's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Well, how could that be true? It's true because Saul was persecuting Jesus' body. And when we're angry against another member, when we're venting our frustration at someone else, it's like we're telling that to Jesus himself. When I was in high school, I had several sports injuries. Um, uh, one in junior high, I was playing soccer and as a goalie, and I went to save a ball, and I caught it funny, and it bent my wrist back, and I thought I was going to break my arm. Another time, it was a sprain. Another time, in, in, later in high school, I blew my ankle out. It was a second-degree ankle sprain. Well, though I injured a single part of my body, the entire part, the entire body was affected. When I blew out my ankle, everything was different. I could barely walk. Getting around was very difficult. It wasn't just like, oh, well, my ankle's no good. Everything else is fine. No, the whole body works together because we're one body. It's the same way spiritually. We all work together because we are one body. What does anger do to the body? It rips it apart. So we must lay it off. The third reason is in verse 11. And it strikes really at the heart of anger. As followers of Jesus, we are to treasure Christ, but anger treasures self. The end of verse 11 says, Christ is all in his body. He is the central figure. You all have come today not to worship one another or to worship a building. You've come to worship Jesus. He is all. He is the one around whom we unite and worship. So what is anger? Anger is venting my displeasure. And in that moment, I don't care what Jesus wants of me. All I care is how to get what I want. Who is the one controlling my heart in that moment? It's me. It's not Christ. Anger shows that I am willing to dethrone Jesus to get what I want. And the reason we push Jesus aside in that moment is because we love ourselves more than we love Jesus. And this brings us to a very important point. At the heart of of anger is a love problem. At the heart of anger is a love problem. One of, the, one of the ways that I struggled with anger is being overly competitive. I'm sure I'm the only one here that struggles with competition. Liars. I know a bunch of you struggle with it too. Well, in, 
in someone that's overly competitive, what are they loving so much that they're willing to hurt other people to get it? They're loving winning and they're loving being number one. And I don't care how other people feel. I don't care what God says of me. I don't care what effect it has. I am gonna get what I want. And so I'm gonna be overly competitive. And if I don't get it, I'm gonna show my displeasure by blowing up. That's a love problem. Anger means that we love something more than God and more than others. And remind me again, what are the two great commandments? To love God and love others. So anger actually strikes out on both of those. It doesn't love God and it doesn't love others. And that really brings us nicely into the final point about anger. Third, we put off sinful anger through the renewing process. So we, know, we don't just lay it off in all its forms, and we don't just have good reasons to, we practice laying it off through this process of renewal. And what's that process of renewal? Verses 9 and 10, it's to put off the old man with his deeds, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which is after Christ Jesus. It's what Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says as well. In addition, Romans 12, 1 and 2 mentions it. This is the New Testament teaching. And the beautiful thing here is the Bible doesn't just say, this is wrong, figure it out. It says, this is wrong, this is also how to get right. The Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, is inspired and used not only for doctrine, but it's used for reproof, for correction, and then for instruction in righteousness. So doctrine is what is true, Reproof is what is wrong. Correction is how to get right. And instruction in righteousness is how to stay on the right path. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't just say figure it out? Some, some furniture that we buy, like from Ikea, it gives you, you know, like half a page of material with four steps and like one tool. And you're like, I, how in the world am I going to do this? That's not God's attitude towards us. So how are we supposed to put off sinful anger. Well, we have to renew our hearts and minds. Though we are belonging to Jesus now, remember, we still live in Adam's broken world. And so we have to constantly change the way we think by studying the scriptures and making the appropriate adjustments. And as we've been doing the last few weeks, I want to walk through this process from verses 9 and 10 using this diagram of the tree. If this is your first time here or you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, the tree is just a simply a, a picture, a model that helps us think through the sins that we're struggling with to get down to the root causes. So let's work through this together. The first thing we do is identify the sinful fruits. Which forms of anger do you battle? How is anger showing up in your life? So there are, there are two kind of two parts to this. What type of anger are you struggling with? And as I mentioned before, remember there are 120 synonyms for anger in the, in the thesaurus. So you may have multiple struggles with anger. It may show up in outbursts. It may show up in bitterness. It may show up in arguing. It may show up in overcompetitiveness. There, there are a whole host of ways, but you have to think and identify what, what areas of anger I'm struggling with. And if there are multiple areas, you may need to do this exercise multiple times. Now, the second thing you need to understand is not just what evidences or what fruits, but when do I get angry? What situations trigger that? Is it when I'm watching sports and getting upset at the TV? Is it when I'm tired and don't sleep? 
Is it after I've had a frustrating day at work? When do you get angry? Because that's going to give you some help to understand how to fight the anger. Then we move to desires. Now, the thing about the tree that helps us is this is not simply behavior modification. Put off anger, be patient. And I feel like a lot of counsel in our world today is like that, right? Well, how are you supposed to, supposed to be patient? Well, you kind of count to 10 maybe, or you grit your teeth a little bit, or you walk away from the situation. Okay, the, those may be practical things, but does that lead to lasting change? Is there any hope in that? That for the rest of your life, if you get upset, you just got to count to 10. Maybe you should start learning another language. Maybe another language works better. Counting to 10 doesn't lead to transformation. But understanding what you want in that situation will be an eye-opener. What do you want when you get angry? Well, Jim Berg says in his book, Quieting a Noisy Soul, there are three common causes for anger. First is pain. I'm angry because I've been hurt. I'm angry because someone has offended me. Second, a second common cause for anger is frustration. Something hasn't worked out the way I wanted. So I'm upset about that. A third common cause for anger, he says, is fear. Something threatens me or is outside my control. And these are the causes of anger. And, and ultimately, they're all outside of our control. People do things that hurt us. Circumstances in life happen. You can't control everything in life to be totally safe. There's nothing you can do about these things. So you have a choice to make. You can respond with anger, which is natural to us, or you can respond with trust in God and peace. Jerry Bridges says this, in facing up to our anger, we need to realize that no one else causes us to be angry. Someone else's words or actions may become the occasion of our anger, but the cause lies deep within us, usually our pride or selfishness or desire to control. What do you want so much that you lash out in anger? Is it control? Is it security? Is it comfort? Is it my image to others? I'll give you one of mine. Order. I like things a certain way, and when Little individuals in our household, don't do it my way. I don't like that. We've all been there. But is anger an appropriate response? No, it's not. As you think about these sinful desires, we have to recognize also that we're believing lies. We're believing lies. And our hearts are so easily led astray. It, the lies that we believe are, are multitudinous. They're all over the place. My plan must be followed for me to have, have order. I must be respected by other people. My time must not be wasted. I need to get from point A to point B as fast as I can. I need to be in control for life to work. Expressing this emotion will help me heal. I just can't let go of this hurt. I can't or I won't forgive. That's just a start. There are so many other lies we believe that justify our anger. Self has to be cast aside and Christ has to be put back on the throne of our hearts. So we get to the roots. We have to change the way we think for the better by thinking Bible. We have to inject God into the situation. Who is God and what has he said? 
If we know that God is in control, do I have to blow up if things are not in, in control for me? No, because I trust that God's in control. What if someone doesn't do things my way? Well, as I quoted a few minutes ago, my wrath does not produce the righteousness of God. So I can be content that even if people are doing things that I don't like around me, I'm going to trust him with it. Inject God into the situation and then believe him by faith. Temptation is a battle of faith. Am I going to trust what God says more than how I feel and what I see? And to to do that, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit for help. And this is where we get back to the concept of grace-driven effort. We have to work, yes, but as I said a couple of times, it's a teaspoon of effort and God backs up a dump truck of grace. When we believe truth, he is helping us and changing us. Then we come back up the other side. So now we've replaced our, our lies with truths about God, which means that our desires are changing. Instead of wanting to be right or wanting to be in control or wanting order the way I want it, I am choosing to want what God wants me to do to further his cause in the world. And, and we don't have time today to get into this in greater detail about fighting sin with greater desires. There's a lot more to say about that that I'll get to next week. Then finally, we identify Christian fruits, Christ-like virtues to actively pursue. And that's what Paul is going to get to in chapter 3. If you look down at verses 12 through 17, he mentions things like compassion and kindness, humility and meekness and patience and forgiveness and love. And when we actively pursue these virtues, we are trusting that our teaspoon of effort will be supported by the Spirit's dump truck of grace. So does this solve everybody's anger problem? Probably not. But hopefully it gives you a pathway, some steps to take where you can reflect and meditate. And as I said in the opening, anger seeps into all of our hearts. We can't just associate anger with the the nut job that, that screams and yells. Anger resides in our hearts as well. Yes, we need to get a grip. But getting a grip isn't found in counting to 10 or breathing deeply. Putting off anger biblically comes by the grace of God through the word of God. And as we transition to the Lord's table, we always give a little bit of time to meditate and reflect. To reflect on what Christ has done, yes, but reflect on our relationship to him. And I would encourage you to ask the Spirit to help you discern where anger is showing up in your life, what the evidences are, and then by the grace of God, confess it and forsake it today. And as you walk through this week, rely on the power of the Spirit who will give you grace to not be angry, but to be Spirit-filled and patient. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your word is practical. It addresses the things that we face day to day. And we have to admit, anger is a huge problem. It's a big problem in our hearts. And we tend to justify it, we tend to excuse it, but I pray that all over the room, the Spirit would be exposing to our hearts things that we struggle with, the specific ways that we struggle with anger, and that in humility, we would confess and forsake them and have newfound joy as we walk with you this week by realizing that sin does not have dominion over us, because we're not under sin anymore. We're in Christ, united to him by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make Him known. May God bless you as you follow Him.